0: This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast. Hopefully your favorite Chelsea podcast out there. Again, Dan, one of your hosts here. And it is a match preview, that's right, in between the Thanksgiving festivities here in the United States. We've carved out a little time to get you ready, to get you primed, to understand what's been going on with the tunes of Newcastle. And, of course... No Brandon, who's in some beach far away, enjoying a cerveza. And know Nick, who I don't know what number of bourbon he's on today, but it's probably numbers more than one hand for counting purposes. But it is Sam who joins me, of course, to get the match preview going. And Sam, I know it's not Thanksgiving over in your area of the world, but I just want to say that I am thankful for the time that we get to spend together getting to look ahead to this match that Chelsea's going to be playing over the weekend.
1: Oh, so it's a nicely put. I also got on to the carving out some time bun. That was that was very well done. Um, you know, from a connoisseur of puns. Absolutely fantastic, ten on ten. So yeah, I mean puns and good time with Dan discussing what is arguably a good time to be a Chelsea fan after two nice results. So hopefully the festivities continue and we get to enjoy more festive cheer.
0: Well, we know it is festive because this is the time of year where Chelsea's fixture list gets very, very intense and there are going to be more matches uh, than, uh, I don't know, than maybe you want necessarily back to back to back, but we are excited for all of them. We know that Chelsea are obviously taking on Newcastle this coming weekend, but just after that, in the coming weeks, we've got Brighton, Man United away, Everton away, Sheffield United at home. You get to play Newcastle again. So, this one almost serves as a little bit of a double primer because we get to play them at the Cup at Stanford Bridge or in the Cup at Stanford Bridge. And then we have Wolves on Christmas Eve. And then that's right, two more matches before the end of the calendar year. So, it is coming fast and furious on this, this fixture list. But we are going to get into the specifics of this Newcastle match. We just want to say thank you everybody who supports the podcast. You can always do that with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We appreciate it. You can also join us on YouTube. Very, very close to 30,000 subscribers. So you can go there, subscribe, hit the bell icon, and get notified. We super appreciate that. And if you want to join the conversation, click the link in our description to join our wonderful Discord community. We'd love to have you there. Plenty of fun conversation, uh, particularly about even some of the... You know festivities around the holiday. A lot of people sharing what they're having to uh, eat and enjoy. But hopefully, it's Chelsea who are feasting on Newcastle in the coming days. But we want to look at the opposition here, Sam. And when we look at Newcastle's form, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Even though they've played twelve matches, they have six wins, four losses, twenty-seven goals, thirteen conceded, five clean sheets, they're averaging two point two five goals a match. Their shooting accuracy is a 45%. They have had a lot of big chances, 28 in total off the 27 goals that they have scored, three of them being penalties. But I would love to circle out the fact that this might be the first time in this season, and maybe in recent memory, that Chelsea have gone up against the side with a longer injury list, a knock on wood or whatever you have to do to not allow that word and utterance to come back and haunt us, than Newcastle, who it seems to be wishing and hoping that they could reduce this in some capacity, but it won't be before Chelsea and Newcastle face each other this weekend.
1: Yeah, it's, it's I think, um, very interesting. I think the first time I was looking at the injury table, I was like, wow, this is the first time I've seen a bigger injury list than ours and it tends to have hit him where it hurts the most and a lot of the debate around Newcastle this season was yes you're in the Champions League you're going to be playing games every three days and obviously games of massive magnitude are you well prepared for it and do you have the score depth and the quality in those ranks to basically cope with it and I think those questions have been asked over and over. Um, they're missing about 11 players. Uh, the list that I basically put in the dock is missing two of the guys who have not been around. So Alexander Isak and uh, Miguel Almiron, so two guys who basically carried knocks over the last couple of days are not even on that list. And if you add them, then obviously it balloons over. But yeah, the the results have shown. Uh, I actually ended up watching the last three games against Dortmund. I watched the Bournemouth game. I watched the Arsenal game. And it, it does look like their quality has dropped. They failed to score in the last two games um, against Dortmund and Bournemouth. And it does look like their quality in terms of how well organized they are, how well they can they pull off their principles and, and execute them on a high level. I think that has suffered as well. So tough time for Eddie Howe. But again, I'm not counting out Newcastle. Um, dangerous for And obviously when a team relies on um physical capabilities and and essentially trying to overpower you in midfield and 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 go with intensity then after an international break when you've had a little chance to gather your thoughts again tough time to face them so hopefully we can come out on top
0: yeah when you look at that list of players so i mean you have players like Callum wilson who uh more recent injury dan burn Botman Barnes, we know obviously Tonali is suspended from the game at the moment due to uh, his outside activities, Lewis Hall not being available due to being technically on loan still. Is there an injury that you circle as, wow, this one is the most impactful? Because as we look at our injury list, and it is someone like Nkunku is still the one that we would circle as maybe this is the most impactful injury, even though maybe he gets minutes maybe he gets 10 minutes similar to the reese james return that we saw orchestrated over about the past three matches where he got a little bit of time a little more time and a little more time to get him back to where he could contribute what's the one that you think is most impactful from a newcastle perspective that eddie howe is wishing praying that that player could have been available for this match
1: well, that's that's exactly what my point is here dan i can i can draw four circles and all of them would be crucial so when I'm looking at Callum Wilson, for example, this guy has the best goals per minutes ratio in the Premier League this season and they're going to be missing him. So obviously he's come on um, a lot of times from the bench to supplement Alexander Isak's work, but he's always come off and made an impact. He's also done really well when he started. He's going to be missing uh, and it's going to be like an extremely tough miss for them up front, especially with a kind of playing style that that they rely on, he can provide finishing, he can provide good amounts of hold-up play, has great strength to facilitate link-up play with the guys behind him, so he's going to be a massive miss. Uh, Lewis Hall, uh, one of the smaller ones, I would say, for a reason that we'll discuss in the weaknesses, but Sandro Tonali, again, I think they extremely overpaid for him. Gallagher 10 times the player. I, I said this before the deal happened, and I will say it again now, but Tonali was somebody who was to bring that kind of physicality in their midfield, add a little bit of quality. They're missing his incisiveness from uh, the, the ability to run, not not just, I mean, he's not a phenomenal passer, even though the, you know, the comparisons have been made to Andrea Perla because he looks like him, but just the amount of times he crashes the box with his runs, that's missing. He's physically very good. That I will give him. So I think that's taken the bite out of their midfield. Sven Botman, absolutely huge miss. I would say like, probably their best center back. So he's, he's absolutely the colossal presence missing from there. And his replacement, Jamal LaSalle hasn't looked as good uh, as he did a couple of seasons ago. When, if you remember, we were linked with him uh, when, when he was breaking out. So he's not been good. And Portman's miss is, is absolutely massive. And um, yeah, that's about it. I would say like Dan Byrne is also an interesting miss because um What he does effectively is he plays on the left-hand side, but he's a centre-back. So what happens is when Newcastle line-up tactically, they shift to three centre-backs from four. When Dan Byrne goes from left-back to left centre-back, I mean, similar to what Colville does. And now the problem is, now they've got only full-backs left. And because Lewis Hall is ineligible, they either have to play Kieran Trippier on the left or they have to play Valentino Livramento on the left. And both of them have, you know, some pros, some cons that Eddie Howe has to consider. So I would say lots of, lots of big misses. I can count four major ones and one minor one.
0: Again, not looking too pretty, but before we give, yeah. Uh, right off newcastle because i think that would be a little premature we will get into the strengths that the side has in case you haven't been watching tons of their matches at this point into the season but we're gonna take a very quick break and we get back all about what newcastle has been doing right this season in the premier league so stay tuned all right sam so just looking at it when you think about where newcastle are current run of form it's Loss, win, draw, win, loss in the last five matches. So not necessarily super ideal. Again, as the injuries are compounding, they are seeming to find themselves in a difficult state. But it's almost more like a yo-yo of performances. You look back at the last couple. They did lose to Bournemouth 2-0 right before the break. But before that, they beat Arsenal 1-0 in a questionable one nil victory that they had they drew wolves 2-2 they beat up on crystal palace for nothing and at the beginning of october it was a 2-2 draw against west ham so the results have come a little bit all over the place and they did pad the stat line and again in those terms of total goals against sheffield united with an eight nil victory there and so what do you make of what Eddie Howe has continued to do right with this team that's an extension of what they did last season to finish in the top four to unlock Champions League football for them this season?
1: Yeah, very interesting question. I would say Howe basically you know, had certain principles in mind in terms of how he wanted this uh, Newcastle side to look and effectively if you look at their performance last season uh, it was it was pretty consistent in terms of how they wanted to play it was 4-3-3 always which has also continued into the new season and if you look at their metrics where well, last season they finished fourth they were second on expected goal difference they outperformed their expected goals and expected goals against by almost six goals both ways which is a massive swing so it did look like it was a it was a good team that did well and obviously needed some kind of tweaking in certain areas. There's this great article in the Opta Analyst um, about Eddie Howe's performance and and how basically he shaped Newcastle and what the image was like. And a lot of their points there were about um, using long balls, for example. So Nick Pope, for example, was um, one of the most prominent keepers in terms of launching it forward. Uh, so the only two keepers that were behind him were those of Brentford and Everton. So you're not expecting somebody like a Newcastle chasing Champions League football to play with a goalkeeper who's not interested in building up from the back. You know, they're they're basically trying to hoof it along and play off second ball. So a bit of a contrast in terms of what you want the side to be, but I would say that Howe's looked at the side and said, I want to be more functional than pretty and even if you look at their possession for example uh since last season and this season it's remained consistent and it's about 52 to 53% like and i would say that's on the lower end of the spectrum so it's not a side that wants the ball it's not a side that wants to play pretty football with these patterns or anything of the sort they just want to be efficient at what they want to do so if i were to highlight their skeletons and in in terms of like their base structure i would say that yes the 433 is hundred percent the system that they go with when they're out of possession they like going into a four five one mid block and this is effectively to use those three central midfielders in that line of five to block anything going from the center so the priority is to make sure that nothing penetrates the center they, they basically want to block off any through balls any kind of passes between lines they will ask you to go wide and the moment you go wide is when they jump on you with their fullbacks, with their wide midfielders, with their strikers, they hem you against the touchline and they try to win the ball back. So uh, a lot of wide pressing traps, a lot of central compactness, which I would say is their identity. And when you look at the three forwards, you've got somebody like Wilson and Isaac who are two different forwards. But if you look at the two wide men, um, inverted forwards, you've got on the left-hand side, uh, Anthony Gordon, who's a right-footed player on the left-hand side. Uh, Joe Linton has played there, Miguel Almiron on the right. So you've effectively got inverted wingers. They don't want to give you width. What they want to do is they want to come narrow and effectively try to, again, prioritize the center. So if you look at those two wingers plus your two central midfielders plus Bruno Guimaraes, uh, you've effectively got five players in the center. And, And your number six, Bruno Effectively has the chance to look at all those options and try to find them as soon as possible. So, I would say that it's a it's a side that loves the center. It loves utilizing it, but also blocking it for the opponent. Uh, they will play long balls very often, even though they don't have you know the ideal center forward to knock it down and and basically make the most out of it. They they do tend to go long. They do tend to go behind the defensive line often. So, if you've got a high line like we do, then they will try to probably play balls in behind Thiago Silva, in behind the for somebody like a Gordon to chase. Um, and it, it's effectively similar to what we tried to do earlier in the season where they ask you, they invite you to come to the middle third, win the ball, and then they will start transitioning from there. And it's not going to be set patterns or, you know, intricate play. It's just going to be one, two touches, three passes maximum. And, uh, they're going to try and, and basically get to goal from there. And they've got good, powerful dribblers in the likes of Gordon, uh, even Alexander Isak, who's, who's is very good in terms of ball carrying centrally. Almiron, we all know is very good as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a very functional side. That's the best way that I can, I can call them. You know, they're very, very compact. They are aggressive, extremely aggressive, love winning the ball back and, and basically playing from there. So uh, that is the identity. And um, in terms of their threat, I would obviously love to highlight a, anybody who plays FPL, they know that Kieran Trippier is going to be a, a massive nuisance. So last season, he created 110 chances from fullback, um, which was only second to Bruno Fernandes with uh, 119. And uh, just to give you the context on, in terms of how much they rely on him, um, 110 for Bruno, uh, sorry, 110 for Kieran Trippier and 42 for bruno gimarash was the second best shot creator in the team uh, so more than half you know comfortably more than half so it's it's something they've tried to fix this season by not trying to go as long maybe trying to improve on Alan saint maximan as you know um, a wide player but not lacking not not effectively giving you the same amount of work rate so they replaced him with anthony gordon who is younger who's a who's extremely quick but also gives you a very, very good uh, amount of work rate. If you ask any Newcastle fan, I think they've been thrilled with this signing as as a wide forward uh, to replace Alan san Maximan. So you've got Trippier there. And um, yeah, if you look at their set pieces last season, they created 15.52 XG from corners. And they scored eight goals. And 8.7 XG came from their set pieces. So both of them are pretty staggering numbers. So it's also, again, down to tripier and how good his deliveries are. So their strength effectively, I would say, is, is a throwback to a lot of the teams that we saw maybe like in mid-2000s to the end of 2000s, you know, strong, physically robust players but also improved upon with like technically good players, very, very quick, fast players who can defend, but also give you quality on the ball, and and that's the team that we're going to face.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that he called out Trippier, not just because he's been a phenomenal FPL asset for people, and uh, Brandon was so happy to lean into the fact that he is beating both Nick and myself in FPL this year and at this moment, but when you look at the last couple matches, so both international uh friendlies that he's been involved in in the premier league and then also the champions league or cup matches that he's played in effectively if he has above a six seven in terms of his total performance uh, just this is using sofa score as the rating for like a one to ten rating on his player performances it's it's a six seven or higher his team did not lose there are a couple times. There's been a draw, but it means that they did not lose. And effectively, if you can put Trippier in a box, if you can put him into a pocket and uh, allow one of our defenders to, at the end of the night, empty out their pockets and Kevin Trippier just happens to be there along with the keys, loose change and cell phone we will be in a much better shape for it. You look at when we they played the match against Bournemouth, he was a 6-1. When they had the draw versus Wolves, it was a 6-2, but again, not necessarily uh, super great for them. When you look at the 6-6 for one of the matches against Dortmund, 2-0, the 1-0 loss was a 6-6. So in general, Trippier is critical to the success that Newcastle will have against Chelsea. And the more that Chelsea can marginalize him as a threat to give him limited moments because he has been an overperformer in some of his expected actions, right? His expected assists for the season 3.8, he's got six of them. He, you know, is getting, you know, eight big chances created over the 12 matches that he's played in. So you can limit the number of big chances that he can be involved in. You can limit the number of expected assists that he can generate. If you can keep him contained, Chelsea will have a much better foothold in this match.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's um like you mentioned, it's it's all about maybe nullifying their their strengths and is fe- effectively like focusing on their primary threat would be a great way of of blunting what I would say is again a struggling frontline. Like I said, Alexander Isaquez is just about recovered from a pretty long layoff. I think if you count the game uh, day after tomorrow then it's it's effectively going to be one month that he's he's not played and he's going to be coming on uh in a, in a big fixture so nobody knows what kind of condition he's going to be in then miguel almirón hasn't played uh, i think for about 10 days now so he didn't travel to paraguay uh, for international duty either so nobody knows what his condition is because he's been a doubt so when you look at that front line obviously it is already on on tender hooks and then you're trying to basically do without one of the best finishers in the premier league so there's the hope that if he does manage to get a couple of deliveries the conversion isn't going to be as high but uh, there was when i was watching the bournemouth game there was this stat that popped up um, underneath that said that since numbers um, since the data was sort of being gathered from 2003 the 2003 season newcastle had the highest ever conversion short conversion rate in a season this season with eighteen point six percent and um, uh, of any seasons by any team, which was pretty surprising to see. So they they were effectively overperforming. I would say on on their finishing. I would love to see how that has dropped uh, or that will drop. Now that a lot of injuries are happening, plus obviously you tend to revert to the mean. But um, yeah, I would I would definitely say keeping him quiet and perhaps giving him additional issues defensively would be a great strategy to maybe just taking away whatever little legs Newcastle have left in the attacking department.
0: Well, speaking of that, when we get into the weaknesses here, I know that we've talked a little bit about the squad depth and the injuries and how that is impacting not just the attack but also the defense as well. What is that going to mean for Levermento with Lewis Hall and Dan Byrne not being potentially available and does Trippier or Levermento potentially have to flop or flip-flop on where they're playing in the pitch? And then, you know... Ultimately, does something like a more aggressive, the chaotic Kukurea approach find value in this game potentially because a little bit of chaos might put Newcastle on the back heel and as they might struggle with the fact that Chelsea are just being more combative, a little bit more unpredictable. I think those are things that I would be interested to kind of touch on as we think about the weaknesses of this Newcastle side.
1: And I would say that the injury enforced ones that you mentioned very rightly mentioned in terms of what do you do with the fullback pairing? You know, um, do you keep Trippier on the right hand side and make sure that your threat sort of remains intact because deliveries from the right crossing his his ability to hit those cutbacks and then just flash those across the area where somebody would get a leg to it? Do you maintain that? But the counter side is you're putting a young Valentino Liveramento on the left hand side. He's arguably going to be against Cole Palmer and Reese James. So it's going to be a big issue. But if you put Livramento on the right hand side and Trippier on the left, which has happened on occasion, like both the instances have happened. I think in Dortmund, both of them happened in the same game where they switched flanks. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the decision is. Do you want to reinforce both flanks or do you want to keep your attack? I think he will keep Trippier on the right and Hope that Liveramento does very well on the left. So uh, that's that's what I think the approach is. And if that happens, then obviously you have something to target. This is no disrespect to, to Liveramento, who we all know as a Chelsea enthusiast. He's arguably going to be one of the best if he can stay injury-free. He's absolutely phenomenal young talent. He's a superb guy with an incredible attitude who'd been praised through every single element in the coaching structure. So, you know, you expect him to rise to the occasion and do his best, but on the left-hand side, a big ask, especially against somebody like Rhys James. So, um, I think that's going to be something that that plays out very interestingly. I would also say that because of the injuries, um, I would I would also look at the centre-backs and, and say that there is something to exploit there, especially Jamal LaSalle. When I'm looking at their ability to count as ground tools or even just move quickly and and shut down threats which you're often asked to do in a back four because you need either of your center backs to be able to step up and and you stay tight to whoever is dropping which you expect nico jackson to do and lascelles i think has slowed a little bit um he's not as quick as he used to be especially across the ground in the air he's still very good but on the ground you can exploit him and a lot of the times when i saw him in in the games that he's come in There were so many times that he was exploited by runners just running straight at him, giving him issues, drawing fouls, basically putting him in all sorts of trouble. So if you're looking at trying to exploit that, then you would want to get somebody in between those line of five and line of four that Newcastle sort of go to. And you try running at him or try running at the back line and try to create some issues. I think Lascelles is there to be exploited Um, if you can do that. His ground duel percentage is somewhere around 37 and Botman was somewhere around, I think 68 or or 69. So there's effectively a a major, major drop there. Most of Newcastle's backline manage around 60%. So LaSalle's looks like the the outlier there is not as good. But again, you know, they don't have any option to go to there. So I think that's going to be one thing that that we have to focus on. I would also say that because of Newcastle's nature of, of their highly aggressive, um, you know, counter pressing, pressing kind of issue. It's something that we also faced earlier on in the season. It was mentioned by Ben Chilwell, who said the key to playing this system is effectively knowing when you have to press and when you have to, you know, fall back. And what Newcastle, I think, are still grappling with, especially with so many changes, is knowing exactly that when do you go and try to win the ball in a part of the pitch where you can mount the best kind of attacks versus when do you just fall back in that four-five-one and and stay defensive and, and make sure that you don't concede. And a lot of the times, Newcastle have just started pressing and they've gone on pressing and the moment has passed and they've gone on pressing and that's when they've been bypassed. So I think those moments, those moments of lapses in concentration of not prioritizing defensive organization is when you can hurt them. Uh, I referenced the Opta um, article. I think they mentioned that their pressing sequences on average last about 6.5 seconds, which is pretty long. So they tend to get into a press and it lasts about six seconds. So if you can, if you have a highly technical opposition side that's able to get out of pressure like we do, if you get it in three or four seconds and there's about a two second margin where you can create a lot of ruckus and and Dortmund have done that, Bournemouth have done that, Arsenal have done that. So we have a good sample size to go with. So I think that's something that the coaching staff will definitely look at and say, look, when they press, bait them, make sure they get into a prolonged press and and then try to shift it elsewhere and and play through it. So the idea would be to not let them go in that four-five-one where it becomes very hard to play through. And not just that, when you look at how compact it is, it's also impossible to switch it, you know, to hit it from one side of the pitch to the wide man on the other side. It's, it's so little space and, and such fine margin for error. So uh, that's where we have to be very careful because once they go there, tough to break them. So so there's, there's one there. Um, and I would also say that from what I could see, it looks like a lot of their midfielders, like their central midfielders, their um, defenders tend to struggle against quality ball carriers. Their dribblers tend to trouble them a lot. And I think it's it's a testament to Eddie Howe's coaching that his structure, his philosophy tends to make the unit better than the individuals. But in moments of chaos, which have sort of pervaded their style of play recently, when they look like individuals, they have been hurt by dribblers. Um, Neto, Pedro Neto for Wolves gave them a lot of trouble. Uh, Semenio from Bournemouth gave them a lot of trouble. Um... Saka Martinelli cause a lot of issues um for Arsenal. So it, it does look like dribblers tend to get, you know, good headway. So I would I would count if I were to count on somebody creating chaos, my money would be on Raheem Sterling. And then if we can bring Mudrik on, um, if the game's in our favor, hopefully, then I think there could be additional issues for somebody on the left. So so fingers crossed there. And the numbers again, if I were to pull them out, um, when it comes to players with a challenge success percentage of fifty percent or more on dribblers. Chelsea have five, and in Newcastle have one. So there's only one player in the Newcastle ranks who has a challenge success percentage of of more than fifty percent on dribblers. So it's it's a it makes for dire reading, and it does give us a little bit of encouragement in terms of can you go directly at them and and cause issues? And I think there's there's something that can be exploited there.
0: Well, we will talk about what we think Pochettino is going to do to exploit that in terms of a couple of the individual selection, in terms of players that might be making a appearance or might be moved into the 11 and figuring out what that lineup might look like based upon our projections. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. All right, Sam. So, as we discussed, Chelsea do have a couple of blueprints that they can look to in the prior performances. The matches against Dortmund were very telling, I think, for how Chelsea, as a side, can go after, can make life difficult for Newcastle in the day. Bournemouth just recently, another example, particularly as you're looking at a side that continues to just be ravaged by injuries, is a little bit of a Freaky Friday situation here for Chelsea. Again, where the on the flop that, really, Chelsea do not have the injury crisis that Newcastle has at the moment. And so I think... If we take a look at that Dortmund match or matches, what did you see there in terms of the specific elements of play that Chelsea and Pochettino might use to really go after this Newcastle side? I know you mentioned the dribbling piece, too, which feels like it's going to be a critical part of that.
1: Karima Yemi basically gave them a lot of issues with his dribbling. Uh, Lewis Paul struggled a little bit when he was on the right-hand side on he kept switching flanks um so a lot of the times he popped up in in different areas and he gave a lot of trouble but just in terms of talking off structure and talking off the setup that Dortmund used so they went with the 4231 that we use very often and what they did was they effectively used their number 10 uh, Mecha on on Gimaraj their wide attacking midfielders or their their wingers basically were on Newcastle's center backs if there were three center backs then they covered the wide center backs and Nicholas Fulcrew, who was playing center forward, basically made sure that he was pressing uh the CCB. And then what he would try to do is split the field. So he would try to shunt the ball to one side, and then Dortmund would start pressing. You know, then after that, everything else is man marking. You've got your fullback who's effectively taking care of, you know, the winger on, on one side, your center backs. There are two center backs against one center forward. So it was man marking all across the pitch. Uh, it was very well done to a point where Dortmund knew exactly which player was trying to do what. So I think it matched up very well with um, with, their, with their 4-3-3 that that Newcastle use very often. What also Dortmund did very well is, is something probably that isn't translatable to us, but they regularly went very long to Nicholas Volkrug. And because they have inverted wingers as well, they used Julian Brandt on the le- on the left-hand side. Um, and then they obviously had the Yami also. So they effectively bought those three players in behind full group very narrow. And what they tried to do was get full group to knock the ball immediately down. And then from there, you had 4v4 situations or 5v4 situations against Newcastle's weak pack four and um, they effectively just bypassed you know newcastle's press they just said if you want to press with five people six people press but the moment you do that we will go long and you've got the target man to effectively get you in those situations but it's advantageous for your pacey wingers to run at and then you've got you know somebody like a julian brandt who can also cause a lot of trouble with his passing with his decisions with his vision so they did that very, very well, effectively trying over and over again to get numerical superiority or parity in, in the attacking third by going long. Um, structurally, what also worked for them is uh, on the right hand side, um, Reherson, uh was somebody who was, sorry, on the left hand side, Reerson was basically holding width um, in, in their attacking formation. And what that allowed was the attacking midfielder on that side was effectively moving in towards the half space. And when you moved in, when you moved branch a little central, so him and the number 10, along with your two central midfielders, effectively gave you four um, in the middle of the park. So it gave you a box midfield. And, you know, it just made very, very difficult reading for Newcastle. Whenever they tried to step up, for example, there was this instance where they tried to stop um, the double pivots from receiving by getting one of those midfielders in their back, in their in their line of five players to step out and then to try to close it down. And Max Hummels just played a beautiful ball through that. And what effectively happened was then Dortmund had four players against you know uh, Newcastle's last line of four. So that's how you bypass them. You bait their press, and if you've got numerical superiority in those central zones, which Pochettino has done very well within Kunku in, um, in preseason. season uh, It would work very well for us. And and what I would like to say, I'm highlighting that, is because you've got the same thing, but on a mirrored side. If you look at Rhys James, he's somebody who likes to hold with. So you've got him on the right-hand side. Uh, you've got Colville on the left-hand side, who's probably going to be um, the left centre-back and left-back. So you've effectively got a back three, which allows Rhys James to go forward. And the moment you push Reese James forward, you can you allow Cole Palmer to come in into those central areas where he becomes extremely dangerous. So if you get somebody in a four-two-three-one like a Gallagher, uh, a Palmer, and you've got Moses Kaisero and Enzo Fernandez giving you a midfield of four against Newcastle's three-man midfield, I think that solves your midfield dilemma. I think there's enough quality. I think there's enough aggression there enough vision with Palmer to cause a lot of damage to Newcastle's backline. I think that's something that maybe the coaching staff should look at and say that's an approach that we can mirror. Um, Jackson, like I said, probably not probably, definitely not established in the air like Nicholas Full group, but there are other aspects of his play that he can 100% you know, use to his benefit. Like we keep highlighting, he's a wide man first. He's a wide forward, somebody with, um, I would say winger skill sets more than a center forward skill set. So you would ask him to to try and create wide overloads. Something that Dortmund did very well was uh, instead of trying to place that attacker staggered like you would in a positional system, what they did was they got two players to stand very close to each other on the fullback. And the moment the pass went wide to the to the wider player of the two, it forced the fullback to press that wider player while the other ran behind into space. And it was just a quick movement of two players adjusting their spacing and, and getting a free run in behind the defense. So just little tips and tricks like that. Jackson needs to look not just in the center, but his ability to say, OK, I will go wide. I will give Sterling a little bit of support and see if I can play him in behind. And you also know that if Jamal Lassells is the, the weak link in that back line, if you've got uh, center backs who are struggling to step up and deal against quick players, then Jackson needs to to drop, to receive in between lines and run at that line as as soon as possible. So, I think that's something that also can be utilized very well from Pochettino. So, uh, tactically, it does make sense to look at the Dortmund blueprint as something that works because Newcastle didn't score for the longest time. They didn't create anything at all, even though they had Callum Wilson. So, it did look like a very good performance, a very well thought out performance. And obviously, like you said, if you can keep keep uh, Trippier down, if you don't give him sloppy corners, if you don't give him sloppy free kicks to to hit, hopefully should be a, a calm evening for all of us.
0: So if we look back to the 4-4 draw between Chelsea and Man City, as everyone expected, except maybe us in terms of the... and you, know, you predicted a draw, I predicted a loss, so at least we can give you a point for that one, Sam. The lineup was Sanchez, obviously, between the sticks, James, DeSauce, Silva, Kukurea as the back line, Caicedo, Enzo, and Gallagher as the midfield, and then Palmer, Sterling, and Jackson as your attackers on the day. It sounds like, from what you said, I'm only hearing one change, and that would be Kukurea to Colwell as a substitute. But am I potentially overstepping in bounds there in projecting what your starting 11 or your predicted 11 would be?
1: Yeah, my 11 would be Colwell in 100% at left back. Just it makes sense tactically to me uh, to make sure that you've got enough of security in terms of the backline to have three guys there. And you effectively then allow Reese James to be in, in zones where he's very comfortable. You want him to. To initiate that threat, you want him to be on the front foot. And if you can push him that left-hand side, if it's going to be Trippier, it's going to be Livramento, then you know that either way you have an advantage if you've got somebody like Rhys James dictating and making sure that just by virtue of his presence, he's pushing you back. So I would definitely say having that support on the left-hand side gives us a little bit of an edge. Um, so yeah, I think Kukureya has had a good time um has had some good spells during his is this thing but i'm going purely by how well this looks tactically to me and and just going by the fact that it worked for Dortmund so i think hopefully it should work for us
0: yeah i don't disagree with the lineup i do think that that lineup given all of the circumstances gives chelsea an opportunity to take something away from this game on the day. And so I think if we just think about it, Chelsea actually had a better form away in the Premier League than we've had at home in this season. It feels to me, Sam, like this is a sneaky win to kick off the form that Chelsea need, particularly against playing Brighton United, Everton United, Sheffield, and then Newcastle in the Cup. But this would be the start of the run that we were looking for in terms of wins heading into the end of the year. I think a a 2-0, 2-1 win is kind of where I'm leaning between one of those two.
1: I think that would be a fair prediction. I, I would actually make a disclaimer here and say that I'm not saying what I think will happen. I would say what I want it to happen in the current circumstances. Seeing um, how deep Newcastle are in terms of the injury crisis and just our momentum. And also the fact that I would highlight in the international break, a lot of our players have had lucky breaks. For example, um, Nico Jackson played, played basically like 43 minutes over two halves. So he just came on for Sadio Mane. Um, in that 4 0 win in the first game. And then he effectively had, I think, six or seven minutes in, no, 11 minutes in the next game. So, um, not a lot of time there. I think the only guys who've played full 90s in both games or, or close to that is Enzo Fernandez and Sero, who also had to travel to South America. But that Joe Linton also had to travel to South America. And, and as did Bruno Guimarães. So I, I hope that that fatigue level balances itself out in midfield. But everybody else, De Sasi came on in the second game against Greece um, for, I think, about seven, eight minutes. So it's it's a side that's had good rest. You know, Conor Gallagher only played one game in the beginning, benched on the second one. Cole Palmer, only the first game, benched on the second one. I think he played six minutes in the second one. So it's a side that's gone on international duty, but hasn't had a knock, hasn't had too many minutes. So I hope that it was, you know, it just helped a little bit. It's a a strange thing to say because you want your players to have international experience. But I think it might have helped to just take a step back, relax, be in that international environment, but also come back um, probably more rejuvenated than if you would have gone and played 180 minutes and then come back.
0: Yeah, I do like the fact that we have seemingly navigated an international break without major injury or repercussions for the players who went and supported their countries and supported their team and supported a otherwise insane fixture list and another international break which again sometimes can feel a little pointless at least viewing it from the club perspective of this but sam i think that's going to do it for this episode we've you know look it's midday here in the U.S. There's a little bit of food. There's a little bit of football, American. There's also the Chelsea women's game that is underway that we are both keeping an eye on that we want to put some energy behind as well. So that's going to do it for this one. But we want to thank everybody for listening. We got to thank you for getting involved. You can obviously join us in our Discord community. You can give us a like or subscribe on YouTube. And then you can also leave five-star views on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Great way to support the podcast so we appreciate it as always. And until next time chelsea fans you want know to do particularly hopefully after newcastle win keep the blue flag flying high